I'd like for you to take God's word with me this evening, please, and turn to the New Testament book of John. If you would, John chapter 3, we'll come to this very historic text, John chapter 3, one that I'm sure you're familiar with, but I want to draw your attention to a very particular verse. John chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 15. John chapter 3, I bring greetings to you from our friend Robert Zasada. And many of you know Robert is in a rehabilitation home called Bethel in Birmingham. And David and I were able to run up there quickly just after the morning meeting to spend some time with him today. He was allowed his first visit this afternoon and we were able to spend just a little bit of time praying with him. And he sends his love. He's doing very well. And it is a Christian um, rehabilitation center. And uh, he seems to be doing very well. So uh, I bring greetings from him to you. And I brought greetings from you to him whether you sent them or not, I brought them, and uh, he was grateful to hear and to see us, and, and God willing, in a month's time, we'll be able to make another visit, but keep him in your prayers. John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter? the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's just bow together one more time in prayer before we look at this passage. Father, we acknowledge tonight our need of thee. We need thee to breathe. We need thee to walk. We need thee to live. How much more do we need thee when it pertains unto eternal matters? We ask by thy spirit, open our eyes. Soften our hearts, give us understanding this evening that we may grasp thy truth, the very simple truths of thy word. Help us to see that Christ Jesus 
must be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to draw your attention especially to verse 14 and 15. And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus taught that he must be lifted up. And in being lifted up, he did not mean that he was to be exalted. We understand that is to come. But what he meant by being lifted up was that he must die. He must die. Every once in a while, somebody says, well, why did Jesus have to die? We're going to look exactly at that thought this evening. John chapter 12, in case you were wondering, in verse number 32 and 33 of John chapter 12, uh, Jesus says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So when Jesus says twice in John chapter 12 and, and in John chapter 3 that he must be lifted up, he meant that he must die. That's what he meant. Twelve times Jesus uses this word must in regards to his life's work, in regards to his calling. He must die. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at the fact that God became a man. That's what we mean by the incarnation. Uh, Jesus did not begin the day that he was born. He is eternal. He always has been. And so when you hear the word incarnation, it means he became a man. His incarnation is amazing, but his incarnation was not enough. His life was absolutely perfect. His miracles were absolutely amazing, but his miracles were not enough. His teaching was like none other. Over and over, people said they marveled because he spoke as one who had authority. But can I tell you, his teaching, his miracles, his incarnation was not enough. Jesus must die. That's why he came. If he were to come and to do all of his miracles and he were to come and teach all of his teachings and never to die, then you and I would still be lost in our sins and damned for hell. And this is the very context that precedes John 3.16, the most famous verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave, literally surrendered up his only begotten son, delivered him over to die. That's the context of that verse. That Jesus must die. But why? Look at verse 14 and 15 of our text. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Would you look this way for a moment? I'll tell you why Jesus had to die, because if he didn't die, you and I would perish. You and I would perish. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Meaning if he didn't die, we would indeed perish. You say, but why? Okay, why did Jesus have to die? So we wouldn't perish. But why would we perish? You might be tempted to ask. 
Verse number 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why are we going to perish? Because we're condemned. We're condemned. We are beneath judgment. The gavel has been dropped. Guilty. You say, but why? Why are we condemned? And therefore, why must we perish? Why such the negative talk? Well, keep reading. Verse number 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, Christ had to die so that we would not perish and we were going to perish because we were condemned and we were condemned because we love darkness and we love darkness because our deeds are evil. Now, now we're getting somewhere. Christ had to die or else we would perish. This is why Jesus said, I must be lifted up. I want you to turn, hold your place there and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 21. This is the illustration Jesus gives. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is found in Numbers chapter 21. This story, this account. And we'll work our way backwards from what we just read. Why did Jesus, what we just ascertained, why did Jesus have to die? Because we would perish we wouldn't perish and why would we perish because we're condemned and why are we condemned because we love darkness and our deeds are evil and if you look at numbers chapter 21 and verse number four they journeyed from mount hor by the way of the red sea and to compass the land of edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way and the people spake against god and against moses wherefore have ye brought us up out of egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this, this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So we have it. Here's the narrative. We work backwards. Israel loved darkness. Their deeds were evil. You say, that sounds terrible that God would send serpents to bite the nation of Israel just because they grumbled and complained. But I remind you, it was more than grumbling and complaining. The grumbling and complaining was a cherry on top, you could say. The nation of Israel grumbled and complained since the day they left. They even were involved in idolatry. They made a golden calf out of their earrings and bowed down and said, this is the God that delivered us out of the nation of Egypt. They were involved in immorality. They were involved in ingratitude, in unbelief. And because of their evil, because of their sin and their iniquity, they were condemned. God sent serpents 
The Bible says in verse 6 and 7 that many of the people died. And they knew. You can say all you want to. That was a terrible thing. Why would God do that? They knew exactly why. And so they said, we have sinned. We know what we've done wrong. We know we deserve this. But please pray to God to stop it. And so here comes their evil deeds. And here comes the condemnation. And Israel had begun to perish in verse number 6. And then we have, as Moses lifted up the serpent. There's a remedy. And so using this illustration, we see why Jesus had to be lifted up. Because if Jesus was not lifted up, then every last one who had been bitten by this serpent was going to die. And the only hope of someone living was the lifting up of this serpent. Can I just say, to deny your darkness and to, to deny your evil deeds is to deny the need for Christ's atonement. To try to act like you're really not that bad and your sin is not that dark and you don't really need much forgiveness is to deny that you need Jesus. But if you recognize the fact and reality of sin, then you'll have no doubt about your need for Christ and for his death. But why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't I die? Isn't that the just thing to be done, someone might argue? Isn't it only just if I've done the dirty deed, then I'm the one that needs to pay? If I've done the crime, then I need to do the time, right? So why did Jesus have to die? I'll tell you why. Because you and I are totally and enti entirely unable to save ourselves. You can't pay for it yourself. You cannot pay for all the crimes that you have committed. Cannot be done. We are perishing and cannot save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. And experience testifies to this truth. You can find me one man who has been able to reconcile himself to God without Jesus. One man who has been able to obtain victory over sin without Christ. You can find one person who has conquered the pool of the world without Jesus Christ, then we can deny this doctrine of our inability. But you can't. You can't. There's never been a human being that could get himself out of this mess of sin. Still not today. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, wrote the, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? The bend and trend of man's nature tends only toward evil. Like a windswept Hedge, which leans the way that the wind has always blown. That's the way we are. We're bent that way. We're leaning that way. That's the only way we're leaning, and it's leaning toward evil. The rest of the verse of Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15 says, That which is wanting cannot be numbered. Meaning that which we are lacking. You cannot count how much you're lacking. You cannot count what you are lacking. The deficit is so large, so deep, you cannot count up how much you are lacking. Matthew chapter 7, 
the Lord Jesus himself tells us in verse number 18, a very interesting verse, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Can I tell you something? Have you ever had evil fruit in your life? Then that's evidence that the tree is evil. You cannot, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit and neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It's impossible. You cannot rescue yourself. Every attempt to self-reform, self-redeem, every self-righteous attempt digs you even deeper than you were before. Just the same way that a nettle can never turn itself into a rose bush, you cannot redeem yourself. You cannot produce any kind of holiness because in you dwelleth no good thing. John chapter 3, our text, in verse number 3, Jesus says something very interesting. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. You need new life because the life you have right now is not enough. And except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom. This is beautiful. Watch this. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at verse number 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Meaning, in and of yourself, you cannot see and you cannot enter in. If you don't have eyes, you cannot see. If you don't have legs, you cannot walk. And your sin has blinded the eyes of your understanding and crippled the power of your will. So you can't get up and waltz your way to Jesus just any old time you want to. That's why when someone's lost, they have a hard time seeing, don't they? They have a hard time seeing that God loves them. They have a hard time comprehending that God is love. They just can't see it because we're blind. I wonder this evening, are you blind? Perhaps you can identify with that. Perhaps tonight you, you've heard about this message of Christ, and, and perhaps in your mind you want to believe it, but you just cannot seem to comprehend it because your understanding is blind. Perhaps you want to get to God, but you don't know how to get to God. You don't know where He is, and you can't even find your legs to walk to get to Him. Jesus said, tells us in another portion, that a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. A rootless Branch will always be a fruitless branch. Jesus, we find again in another portion of Scripture, they that are in the flesh, the Apostle Paul writes, cannot please God. So if you be in the flesh, rather than of the Spirit, you cannot please God. Can you see it now? Do you feel it now? You can't save yourself. No religious exercise can purchase your salvation. No outward adherence to any sort of religious law and order will ever be able to earn you favor in the eyes of God. Your tears do not purchase your salvation. Your pining and longing and moaning and crying and your sorrow will never be the thing that purchases your salvation. You cannot save yourself and therefore you need someone else to save you. Even so, must the Son of Man, 
be lifted up. You see, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for us. Five times in John chapter 10, he speaks about he giveth his life or he layeth it down. Speaking with uh, our brother Felix this morning in John chapter 10, he was reading this over the last couple of days and we looked at a couple of these verses. But five times, John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now I want you to think about this thought for a moment. He giveth his life. Verse number 15 as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I give my life, I lay it down, used interchangeably. Verse number 17, therefore doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down five times. Jesus gave his life. He laid down his life to set in place like the foundation of a house, intentionally laid, not on accident. Jesus did not die on accident. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. He set it there perfectly and intentionally at just the right time. Nobody took it. Jesus' death was no accident. Just as a man brought an offering in the book of Leviticus chapter 1, and he offered it of his own voluntary will. So Christ, with no compulsion at all, laid down his life for us. In fact, you could say the only compulsion that Jesus felt was his love for you and I. Nobody made him do it. Nobody took his life. God in heaven didn't make him do it. He laid it down. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 28, that beautiful uh, verse explains why he laid down his life. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to give his life a ransom. Now, I want you to think about that word ransom for just a moment. We're coming back to it in just a moment. He came to give his life. In John chapter 6 and verse number 51, the Lord Jesus says, The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He came to give his life. That's so contrary to human nature. We often come to take, don't we? Human nature is to take what we can, to get what we can. Christ came to give all that he could. He gave himself for us. What marvelous love. When you could not die for yourself, when you could not redeem yourself, when you could not save or change yourself, Jesus came and gave himself for you. I'm going to give you one last little thought tonight. When Jesus died on the cross, I want you to grasp this if you can. When Jesus died on the cross, it was substitutionary. Now, let me tell you what that means. Did you ever have, growing up in school, did you ever have a substitute teacher? Some of you children may know what I mean by that. When your teacher is unwell and could not be there, then a substitute would come and take their place, right? And that substitute would teach in the place of your teacher. 
That's exactly what we mean when we say Jesus' death was substitutionary. He died in the place of you and I. He took our place. You remember what I said in Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, he gave his life a ransom for many. That's one of two times in the New Testament that we find this thought just like this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 6, listen to this verse. Who gave Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now I want you to hear this for a second. That's a beautiful thought. Ransom for all comes from really two Greek words. Anti-lutron. Anti meaning in the place of. In the stead of, lutron meaning the sum paid to lose something or to buy something out of the market. And so when Jesus died, he paid the price to purchase us out of the market. He took our place. He paid the price that you and I owed. It's further explained in Matthew 26 and in every gospel record, just in case you might imagine you could pay something to earn your salvation, the Lord Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And he speaks about how it is the remission of sins. In his shed blood is the remission of all of our sins. The washing away, the letting us loose from our sins which brought the penalty of death. His blood was shed for the remission of your sins. Can I tell you why Jesus had to die? Because if he didn't, you would be condemned to perish for all eternity. And God in mercy and in love sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, who put his life down, laid his life down to redeem you, to die in your place. Every sin you've ever committed was laid upon him. He died as if it were you hanging on the cross. But as long as you keep trying to act like you're better than you really are, and as long as you are not willing to admit that you've sinned against this God, then you can never experience and enjoy what it is to have those sins remitted, washed away. This morning, we looked at the ABCs of the gospel with the children in our children's talk. A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away that sin. And C, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you come to him? Have you come to him? You cannot earn your way. You are not all right. Sorry. We speak to people every Saturday in the city center, and the majority of folks, when you try to hand them a gospel leaflet, say, I'm all right, mate. And the truth is, they're not. They're not. And tonight, if you have never been born again, then you're not all right. You still are carrying the weight, and therefore the penalty of your sin. Will you look to Christ? Will you ask him to open your eyes that you might see? Will you ask him to touch your legs that you might enter in? May God help you and I both. 
if you have been born again, then may you and I make much of Christ. May we speak much of this sacrifice because he must die. He had to die. If Jesus did not die, there is no salvation. And for us to speak about everything but his death is to rob people of the truth. He had to die. Such is the seriousness of your sin. Tonight, if you feel the weight of your sin, then hear Jesus say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I believe it's God that has enabled you and allowed you to feel the burden of that sin. It's God that has begun to stir within you so that you recognize, yes, I need a Savior. I've tried day after day to make myself better, and I failed. You need Christ. Except a man be born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You must be saved. That's why Jesus died. Will you look to him tonight? I hope you will. I hope you have. It's the most glorious and the most simple message on the planet. But the majority of mankind will pass by because they do not want to admit that they need such a savior. I want you to bow your heads with me in prayer. We're going to close here in just a moment. But I wonder, before I pray, as your head is bowed with mine, I wonder tonight, have you been born again? Do you know what it is when the language that Jesus used speaks of except a man be born again? Do you understand that? Do you have new life? Have you experienced the new birth? During the days of the Great Awakening, that term became used often, the new birth. Have you experienced the new birth? Has it merely been an intellectual thing for you? Have you been quickened? Have you been made alive? Been allowed to see the awfulness of your sin and also been enabled to see the beauty of Christ's death for you. I want you to pray with me. You pray quietly and I'll pray aloud, but let's pray that God may make it clear to each one who's listening their need of this death of a savior let's pray together father in heaven we thank thee that jesus came to die that he understood he must die for he knew that if he did not die in our place for our sins then we would indeed perish in the eternal fires of hell we thank thee for this love for God so loved the world. We thank thee, Father, for thy love. We praise thee for the love of Jesus that compelled him to lay down his life, to give himself for us. We thank thee, Lord, for the price that was paid, the purchase that was made when he redeemed us, when he paid what we could never pay. We thank thee for this shed blood of Jesus. We thank thee for his death and his glorious resurrection. That he is alive and soon to return. And tonight we pray for those who are still dead in trespasses and sins. Who do not know what it is to have that sin forgiven and removed. Help them tonight open their eyes, Lord. That they might see. And touch them that they may enter in.
we pray. We ask, Father, that someone may be visited this evening with salvation. We ask of the Lord in mercy to hear our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.